morning. If you have your Bibles, look with me in the book of Joshua, the third chapter. Joshua chapter 3. That uh, song we sang, and it just tends to happen to me fairly often with songs, I tend to identify the song with a person. Uh, Leroy Parker from Beulah used to have a real strong bass voice, and sometimes the song we'd sing had a bass lead, and that's his. Nobody else can sing it. Hallelujah, What a Savior is Brother Carter's song. He was an old black man that worshiped with us in Florida. Illiterate. He could not read, but he could out hallelujah anybody in the auditorium. And I wish I could sing with the enthusiasm that he had for that one word. Now, he had memorized some of the songs, but some of them he hadn't. But when that hallelujah came out, you knew he was there. Um, made mention to you a few moments ago about Anita. She is at home this morning. She came back from her European trip Wednesday night. Uh, actually, they left over there Wednesday morning about 2 or 3 o'clock our time. Got in here at 1 o'clock our time. She was exhausted. Over there, she traveled with a woman who came down with COVID. So it cut their trip short by a little bit. When Anita got home, she had COVID. And everything's fine this morning, except she still can't talk. Uh, it's been comical around our house. She'd say, why are you whispering? And I'd say, I'm not, because her ears were stopped up as well. It's just, it's been pleasant, <laughs> but comical. Talk louder, which is normally the way things go around our house. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I, she's doing fine. She's uh, able to get up and around and take care of herself, but she's still kind of hoarse and, and exhausted from that trip. Um, Anyway, I want to share with you this morning uh, some thoughts about, okay, yeah, when strategy replaces our faith, and it's a, an interesting concept to me. When you read your Bible, I, I do want you to, to understand this. Okay, the Lord wrote or caused to be written in Proverbs, the third chapter, verse 5 and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Now I believe that God has given every one of us the ability to make choices, to, to determine the way we want to live in life, but he also gave us a book of regulations and that's your Bible. It's filled with thoughts that God wants us to know. It is not just rules and regulations, it's illustrations of what happens when you do what God says. And I'm persuaded that there are so many verses in the Bible that deal with this. Proverbs 14, verse 12, and it's almost the same as 16, verse 25. There is a way which seems right to man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Have you ever made a choice in life that ended up being a terrible choice? Now, I have. And I'm pretty sure that most of us can say, yeah, we have too. We've just made choices that seem like the way to go. It seemed like the best thing. It just ended up being a catastrophe, and our life is to pick up the pieces and kind of go on with the way things are in the world around us. I don't know if it's up or down. Uh, Jeremiah came along in chapter 10, verse 23, and says, O oh Lord, I know that it's not in man himself, nor is it in the man who walks to direct his own path. And it's almost like saying, we're clueless in this life. Well, I'm clueless in this life when I leave the Bible behind. 
If I keep it in front of me all of the time, then there's a good choice. I'm going to make the right decision in life. But we've all made wrong choices, wrong decisions, and we suffer for it. I, I just want to ask you to listen to God, and we're going to talk about this concept of when our strategy replaces what should be our faith. Why do we second-guess God? God said, do this, and I don't do it. Why? Why do I do that? Paul came along in the book of 2 Corinthians, the fifth chapter. And I want to read with you more than just the one verse. It's in this chapter that it talks about this earthly house of our tabernacle. We live down here in this body. And while we're here, we can't be at home with God. Let me start reading in verse 4. For if indeed while we're in this tent, we groan being burdened because we don't want to be unclothed, but we want to be clothed so that that which is mortal may be swallowed up in life. Now, he who prepared for us is this very purpose is God, who gave us the Spirit as a pledge, therefore being always of good courage and knowing that while we're at home in the body, we're absent from the Lord. We walk by faith, not by sight. That, that's the concept I want us to think about. I, I do what God says. This is faith. I, I can't see the end of a matter in this life. I, I, I'm here in this body, and I'm doing the best I can. I long to leave this body and go home to be with God, but I can't do it just yet. So I walk by faith and not by sight. I can't see the way things are going to turn out. I just trust in God to know what He's doing. I don't have to read a book about proving to me heaven is real. I've got a book that shows me that heaven is real. It's the Bible. And I want to follow it and I want to live a faithful life. Faith is how we live our life here leaning on the promises of God. And now look with me in the book of Joshua, the third chapter. It's an interesting concept to me. In the end of the book of Deuteronomy, Moses has died and God has buried him. Joshua has been chosen to take the place of Moses. Chapter 1 and 2 of Joshua are God preparing the man and preparing the people to follow Joshua. In chapter 3 is when he leads them across the Jordan River into the land of Israel, the land of promise. And they've longed to get over there for hundreds of years. They left Egypt, or they left Israel, went into the land of Egypt. Forty years of wandering here in the desert. Now they're, they're come up, they've come up to the border. And here's how I want you to cross. I want the priest to get the Ark of the Covenant. This is a special chest. On it are the cherubim, the mercy seat of God. And this represents the throne of God down here. I want the priest to get this. I want them to march in front of the people. I want the people to notice them when they go by with the Ark of the Covenant. And I want the people to follow 2,000 cubits behind, about two-thirds of a mile. The priest walked by, and then here is all Israel, and they're ready to march, and the priests are going to walk up to the River Jordan. And if you read carefully this chapter, you'll find out that the River Jordan is in flood stage. Have you ever walked into a flooded river? I've not. I tend to stay away from them. I have waded in water before up to my chest in the road in front of our house. 
I wasn't worried about being sucked down. I would be if it was a flood-swollen river. When the priests walk into the water, I don't know how far, ankle deep, knee deep, the first have to be far enough ahead that the last can stand in the water. Then the water parted. And Israel followed them through dry ground. At the end of this march, the priests are going to end up in the middle of the river with this water dammed up behind them. The people have marched through. It's going to take a good part of a day for them to get across. Then the priests are going to march through. Can you imagine the kind of faith you would have to have to be a priest in a situation like that? They had to enter the water first. And that's amazing to me. And this is what it means to walk by faith and not by sight. The Jordan River is going to part. You're going to walk through on dry ground, but the priests have to lead the way. And sometimes our strategy overcomes our faith. Let's talk about Abraham for a moment. Abraham was a man similar to us. You'll find him in the book of Romans, the 14th chapter. The father of the faithful. Father of the faithful. It's a, a title we give to him. Because he acted in faith so often. God said to him in the 12th chapter, Abram, I want you to leave the land of promise, uh, the land of Haran. And I'm going to lead you through a land that you won't know where you're going. And I want you to do what I tell you when I tell you. And he did all of that. The father of the faithful. Well, he's married to Sarah in the 12th chapter. And she is a beautiful woman. A lot of guys here married above your heads. You've got beautiful women. Do you trust them? Abraham trusted Sarah, but he didn't trust Pharaoh. And it's in the 12th chapter that he says to her, now when we get down there, you say you're my sister. Say you're my sister. And she did. To preserve my life. We're going to tell this little lie. In the 20th chapter, he says the same thing to Abimelech. Abimelech notices what's going on, and in verse 9, he reprimands Abraham, the father of the faithful. Why did you do this to me? You have caused me and my nation to sin against the God of heaven. Why did you do that? Because it seemed a good thing for me to do. Now, the last of that are my words. It just seemed like to preserve my life, I'm going to have her tell this little lie that would lead you astray. And all. Would Abraham do that? He did. If you read carefully the first 22 chapters, you'll find that it's over and over and over again that he makes this same mistake. The father of the faithful. I'm suggesting here that however faithful we are, we're going to make the same mistakes that Abraham did. 
Maybe not exactly the same one, but we're going to decide ourselves, this is the way I should do it. And it's going to lead us away from God. In chapter 16, between the first and the second episode, God has promised Abraham an heir. Chapter 15 is Abraham disputing or discussing with God, I don't have an heir. I don't have an heir. I need somebody to inherit all of these, the, these material possessions that I've accumulated. Who's it going to be? I, I don't have anybody except this man that's a servant and lives in my house. And it's Sarah who suggests the problem, uh, the solution to the problem. We're going to help God a little bit with this. God has promised you an heir. You take Hagar and you have an heir with her. And if you read your Bible very well, you understand the difficulty that's going to arise around that. Uh, constant friction between Hagar and Sarah until finally Hagar is cast out along with Ishmael. And she blames, Sarah blames Abraham for the whole affair that she created. All because we don't always walk by faith. I want to see how it's going to turn out. God, let me help you here. Let me help you here. Let me help you over here. And when we fail to walk by faith, our sight can lead us into the wrong place. When we try to think our way out of a troublesome situation, and I'd suggest this applies to every one of us, here's a way that I think my strategy can replace what God says in his wisdom. It's going to lead us into trouble just about every time. Asa was the king of Judah. In the book of 2 Chronicles, the 14th chapter, Asa is a good man. To me, he's one of the best of the kings up to a point. Now, he seemed to rule for quite a long time. In the 14th chapter, the Ethiopians come up against him. Israel, Judah rather, the army in the south, Israel and uh, Judah and Benjamin, have about 500,000 troops. Well, the Ethiopians come up against him and they've got a million men. The number is two to one and they've got chariots. And Asa does what he should do. He prays to God. He's already torn down the idols. He's tried to heal Israel or Judah of its idolatry. He just does a great job at this. And, and now he comes up against the Ethiopians and he's prayed to God for strength that we can win this battle. And they do win the battle. They slaughter everybody who comes against them. They chase them back to Ethiopia. And Asa is a good man because he relied on God for a while. He trusted in God, and then he runs into another problem. Now, he's been king for 10 or 15 years. He's no longer young, inexperienced, and naive. Now he is the king. And I think he, gathered, he, he thinks too much of himself. In 15 verse 9, People come to him from all over because he is so righteous and so successful that there are people living in Israel, the northern kingdom, that come down and join him in the south. Another army comes against him. 
and he decides for some reason. Now, in these intervening chapters, and I just want you to read through that if you can, in healing Israel of Judah, rather, of its idolatry, he has confronted his own mother, torn her idols down, crushed them, and said, you can't do that anymore. I mean, here's a man willing to stand against his own family up to a point. And now another enemy, the northern kingdom, Israel, is going to come down and fight against him. Asa turns to the Assyrians, to the Syrians rather, and hires them, takes gold out of the temple, gives it to them to preserve his life. Now, I don't know why, in the beginning of his rule, he'll follow God. He'll lean on God. He'll trust God. I would suggest to you that there are a lot of younger people here who have greater faith than the older folks do. You believe God. You trust in God. We come along at our age and we kind of drift. Well, I kind of believe God. I don't emphatically believe God. I'll follow him some of the time. But it seems to me that here I need help. And I'm going to get it from the Syrians. And it cost him his kingdom. And it cost him his life. Faithful when he's young. Unfaithful when he's old. And I think it's a shame that we see such a good man come to such a bad ending. Jeroboam is king of Israel. 1 Kings, the 11th chapter. You know a little bit about Jeroboam to start with. He ends up being an extremely wicked king. God gave him the northern kingdom, Israel. It's Judah in the south. In this chapter, God says, I want you to, uh, to a prophet, tear a, tear a cloth into 12 pieces and give 10 of them to Jeroboam and say, God's going to give you this portion of his people. If you'll be faithful, you'll keep them. Walk in my statutes and ordinances. And if you know much about Jeroboam, he had a better idea. I understand the need for faithfulness. I do understand. But if the people go back to Jerusalem to worship, their hearts are going to be turned back to Jerusalem. I can't have that. Seems to me that a better plan is to put a golden calf in Dan and Bethel, the north and the south of the kingdom of Israel. And if the people begin to worship there and there, they won't be going back to Jerusalem. And here's the strategy that Jeroboam instituted. It's idolatry. Now, when the golden calf was formed by Aaron in that camp outside the land of Egypt, he made a mistake, but I think it's a mistake that the people constantly followed. Here is your God that delivered you. Let us have here a feast to Jehovah. Well, that calf is not Jehovah. And when Jeroboam built a calf in Dan and Bethel, they weren't Jehovah either. And here again is a man who has an idea better than God's idea. And I'll suggest to you that every time we try to outthink God, we're going to end up in the same situation. Now, 
Jeroboam ruled for a long time. That long rule did not make him a successful king. And we can go through the Bible over and over again. Time will fail us if I tell you about David and the times when he outfought God with the numbering of the people of Israel. Jonah, I think, is a similar case. Uh, God said, go to the city of Nineveh and preach. And he said, I'm going the other way. Out into the ocean, he's swallowed by a whale, a fish. Judas, I don't know whether Judas betrayed Christ to force his hand to establish his kingdom or, or just why it happened. But it's another illustration or an example of somebody who tried to outthink God and they failed to walk by faith. This lesson is not about the history of God's people. It's about every one of us. When God says in His Word something plain and simple, and I try to outthink Him, when I try to avoid the circumstances that I don't want, I'm going to end up in trouble. When we try to outthink God, it simply will not work. Now, we've had the lessons already. We read passages in Proverbs about leaning on God, not trusting our own understanding. Anytime my ideas conflict with God's, it's going to end up in disaster. Trust Him down here. I'm persuaded that by and large, blessings will follow. There may be some persecution that arises because we are children of God. But it won't be a consequence that comes to us from God Himself. But surely in heaven the blessings will be ours. Now, God has a plan of salvation and expects us to follow it. And we come along with a better idea. Well, I think I can be saved by faith only. Next quarter we're going to study the book of Romans and we're going to talk about faith only. Faith only is not found in your Bible except in the book of James where the Bible tells us it's worthless. Faith by itself without works to back it up. A demonstration of our faith. We understand that you can't walk by sight. Every time we try, we fail. Let's follow God. Let's walk by faith and not by sight. I think it's so important in this life for us to do that to do what God tells us to do. Heard somebody commenting on the radio the other day. God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. Now you've heard that before. It's worthy of our listening to. Trust in God to tell you the truth. Don't trust in your own wisdom, your own insight when it goes against the Word of God. I appreciate your listening this morning. We'll be led in prayer at this time.